Sorry. There I go. Um, we, we call it a sacrifice of praise because for many of us, uh, giving our time is probably the, the most expensive thing that we have. And so um, for the first three Sunday nights of August, we set aside time to worship, to praise, and to seek the face of the Lord together as a congregation. Tonight, the specific focus will be communion. We will come together around the Lord's table, and we believe and have seen in the past that when we focus on communion, on on the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us on the cross, we see physical healing take place. So I invite you tonight, if you uh, have dealt with illness, if you've been sick, or if you know someone who's sick and you want to either bring them or you want to come yourself and pray for them in proxy, I believe the healing presence of the Lord will be here tonight. And we will seek his healing presence in, in praise and worship. And uh, next week, we do baptism. Uh, something happens in the spiritual atmosphere of our community when people are baptized. Um, next week, will, I believe, is, is really important uh, in terms of seeing even a greater opening over this region, kind of an open heaven over this region that takes place as people are baptized. And then the last week, we will, we will once again, we'll, just, we'll set ourselves up for the whole of the fall by just seeking the presence manifest of the Lord together. Uh, we really believe as a church that, that he's the source of our plans, he's the source of our people, he's the source of our workers, he's the source of our resources. Uh, we do not exist as an institution, we exist as a wineskin. Uh, we want that new wine all the time. And we're willing to adjust and adapt to him as a wineskin at all times. You don't put new wine in an old wineskin. And so we're, part of what these Sunday night things are about is, is receiving the new wine and also becoming a new wineskin for him. And uh, we just find as we linger with the Lord together and we tarry with him, great and wonderful things happen. So I invite you to come back. Uh, it's not a preaching or teaching time. It's an ex- more of an experiential time with the Lord together. Now, this morning we are continuing in this study that we've been doing on the book of Joshua, but, it, but I'm treating it in a little bit of a different way. I'm treating it in a way that, that you and I have a promise from God of going into the promised land together. There still exists for you a promised land that God has uh, in terms of your destiny, in terms of blessings. And when he made this promise to Joshua and to the people that Joshua was leading, he didn't say, I'm taking you to a terrible place. He said, I'm taking you to a place of success, and I'm taking you to a place of prosperity. Um, Many of us, we struggle to fully submit ourselves to God because we're afraid of what that would mean. I remember when I was a kid, um, I always had in this picture in my mind, if I submit myself to God, he's going to send me to a jungle with snakes. And I hate snakes, you know? It's like just that idea that he would send you to the, the exact place you don't want to go. Sort of that God was this cosmic killjoy uh, who kept from you the things that you wanted 
and made you do the things that you don't want to do. And as we look at this passage that I'm, I'm bringing up for us today, we're going to see that our God is a very serious God. And that he takes disobedience and he takes an unsubmissive life and he takes things that where you live out of alignment with him and you live in resistance to him. He takes it very, very seriously. So seriously, in fact, that, that the man that we're about to read about has a horrible experience with God. But if you study it a little bit more deeply, you will realize that even for this man and for his family, there existed a possibility of abundance. But he chose the counterfeit. He chose to resist. He chose not to obey. He said, I can't trust you, but I trust my eyes, and I trust my own heart. And in doing so, he actually destroyed himself. It's a serious passage, but it's also a passage that shows you how to get out of the alignment with the world and to get into the alignment with, yourself, with, with who you really are in Christ and who Christ is in you. There's an old song that I have always loved and that we've sung uh, since I was a child, and it's a very simple song. It's called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And it, it expresses really the overarching theme of this passage. If you remember the song, it says, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus, Look full in His wonderful face, and then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So the opposite, opposite of that is also true. If the things of this earth are full of glory and grace to you, then you've never really seen his face. It's, it's, it is that simple. If you have really encountered Jesus, then you are smitten with him. But if you've never encountered him and all you know is religion, and all you know are rules keeping, and obey or not obey, can I get away with this, can I not get away with that, then the things of earth will seem very glorious to you. So let's read this together. Is it light enough for you to see? I'm not sure. We're in a rock concert, Gabe. Is that what it is? Can we turn it up a little bit? Let there be light. There was no light. There we go. All right. I like it when you read the scriptures out loud with me. Let's read it together. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran, to, and behold, it was hidden in his tent, silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah 
and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Wow, strong story, right? So let me, let, let me just let me set this up a little bit with some historical background. Before, before God ever let them go into the promised land, before God ever let them cross the Jordan, he laid down in no uncertain terms exactly how it would be. And it's so important that you get this because this is exactly how he leads you and me. He was going to win the battles. He was going to make the way. They were going to walk into victory. They were not going to create the victory. They were not going to be the cause of the victory. They were going to walk into victories that the Lord had already made for them. They were responding to what God was initiating. And what God said to his people, you will not be pirates. You will not be marauders. You will not murder. You will not steal. You will not rape. You will not be like any other conquering army that has ever existed. You will not touch those things. You will not become rich yourself on the plunder of the people you conquer. He said in no uncertain terms, if you do not obey this, you will not win. You will not survive. Well... He proved himself. He cro- they crossed the Jordan on dry land. I don't know about you, but I can't make a water park. Right? Can any of you? And if you can, you're lying. Okay. <laughs> then they come to Jericho. They're not an army that can match up to Jericho in any way. They do not have to lay siege to Jericho. They don't lose anybody climbing the walls of Jericho. They march around it seven times. They blow a trumpet. I've I've tried to knock walls down that way. It doesn't really work. Come on. Haven't you ever tried to walk around? No, of course you haven't. It doesn't work that way. And they they, they walk into victory into Jericho. Now, there's an interesting thing that happens here that I think you, you should notice. Before the battle of Jericho, Joshua got alone and met with the Lord. He met with him face to face, and the Lord really cleared things up. And he said, Joshua, it's not a question of whether I'm for you or against you. It's a question, are you for me or against me? He got his priorities right. He said, I'm the initiator. I'm the commander. I'm the general. You're just following me. You're following orders. And the the battle was won. And then Joshua does not inquire of the Lord. If he inquired of the Lord, he would have found out something was wrong. He just sends a a small army. Now they're they're very confident. He sends a small army against the the, uh, the, uh, town of Ai or the city of Ai. And they are routed. 
they are defeated. So in their defeat, then Joshua goes to the Lord and says, why did this happen? <laughs> After the fact. Ever done that? <laughs> I thought we were going to win. We lost. Thousands lost their lives. And the Lord said, well, you didn't do what I told you to do. Now, you may believe that you are all by yourself. You might believe that your actions only affect you. But if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are born of the Spirit of God, he did not place you alone in a one-on-one relationship with God. He placed you in a family. Every one of you in this room that belong to Jesus, your father is exactly the same father. It's so interesting in John 1, it doesn't say... He gave us the right to be a child of God. He says, as many as receive Jesus, he gives them the right to be children of God. It's a plural thing. Even Jesus, when he talks about the giving of the Holy Spirit, doesn't say individually you. He says you plural, all of you. If he was from the south, he said y'all are going to get it. (laughs) Maybe you skies or something like that from somewhere. (laughs) Or Pittsburgh unions or whatever it is, you know. But it's that plurality. It's always plurality. Do you understand something? You think that what you do in secret doesn't affect the rest of us? It absolutely does. You understand this one man's actions derailed the momentum of the people of God. He put lives at danger, actually killing some people, and he almost thwarted the very purposes of God. And he thought he was doing it in secret. He thought he was doing it in secret. Now let me, let me explain one. Are you tracking with me so far? Let me, uh, let me explain one more thing here. People who get caught rarely repent. They repent of getting caught. They repent of the consequences of their actions. But their heart is seldom changed. It is the saddest thing, and I've been in ministry for 34 years. I have almost never seen a pastor who got caught who was actually able to be restored to ministry because their hearts don't change. Yes, they hate that they have consequences. They hate that they hurt people. They hate that other people now don't think well of them, but they still love what they did. And I'm going to explain to you from this passage why and it has to do it's interesting it actually has to do with the sin of gluttony it has to do with anything in your life that is a good thing that you begin to crave as an ultimate thing see what happens in your heart is that certain good things begin to get twisted into a craving In other words, uh, what Augustine said many, many years ago is, is your heart, when affected by sin, has disordered affections. And things that are good, things that are actually maybe things that you need or things that you want, become things that you cannot live without. Cravings. So... This idea of Achan is that he had a disordered affection. He had a craving. He coveted the things that God said you cannot have. These are forbidden things. 
And so what we see is that when this sin takes over in our lives, that the cravings become so strong that you lose all perspective. You must have that thing, and it does not matter what it takes to have it or what will happen to you if you have it. If we look at it a little bit, there's a depth of craving that comes over us in our sin. Is that there's this aspect about your heart. Um, if, you, if you come to really understand and have self-awareness about what's going on in your life, you're a pretty complex person. Look at your neighbor for a minute. Just, just look at him and say, you're very complex. <laughs> that is why when people say, when people say to you, you should do what your heart tells you to do, you run from those people. Because either they're, they're liars or they're the devil them, himself. Because there is nothing more deceitful than the heart. And what I mean by that is, is this. And, and if you're truthful and honest, you'll realize when you want something, when you really want something, nobody's going to stop you from getting it. When you really, really want something, you're going to figure out how to get it. You've done that since you were a child. If you really, really wanted it, then anybody who doesn't you know, make a way for you is your enemy. They're a person you're angry with or bitter with or afraid of. There are many of us that one of the things we say really early is as soon as I can get out of this house, I'm going. And I'm not coming back because you're in my way. You're in my way to my happiness. You're in my way to being able to do what I want to do. <laughs> I'm sure none of you ran away from home. When you were kids, you were too smart for that. But isn't it funny when a little kid goes, I hate you, Mommy. I'm running away from home. You know what? You know what? That's a twisted craving. Starts really young. My heart, what it wants, and if you get in my way, I hate you. Are you hearing me in this? This is what's going on in Achan. Achan isn't just, there's not some simple little thing. Achan is not a pagan. Achan is not... Someone who has no awareness of God. Achan is a religious person. Here's the problem. God is on his lips, but God is not in his heart. See, he, he has lived a life where he's seen the river part. He's seen the walls come down. A lot of us would say, man, if I just saw the walls come down or the river part, I'd, I'd serve God forever. No, you wouldn't. Not if he got in the way of your heart and what your heart wants. See, even God becomes an enemy if he doesn't do what you want him to do and in the time that you want him to do it. Because you've got to get this great. The heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> you don't believe me? Look at the person you married. There are ones of you in here, your parents said, that's not a good marriage. That's not a good... And she said, but I, I can change him. With my love, he will change. Yeah, that's, that works, right? That's works. I've done thousands of marriage counseling. It doesn't work, friends. It doesn't work. Because guess what? The heart only changes if it wants to. The heart will... Con- the behavior will conform to outward pressure, but the heart will not. One of my favorite silly stories is there was a family driving to church in their church minivan, and I mean in their minivan, 
and they, uh, the kids were back in the back. And I don't know if any of you did this, but when I, my kids were little, and, and they're fussing all the way to church, and I'm the pastor, and we got to get, you know, we got to get pure, we got to get holy, and uh, and they're they're fussing all the way. And so this little girl stands up in her car seat, takes you know off her seatbelt, stands up in the car seat, and Dad said, "You got to sit down." She stands up. She's rebelling against her father. And you know, as a dad, you go, if I have to stop this car, none of you ever had to do that. I had to do that. If I have to go back there, you know, the threat you make. So he has to do it on the way to church. And so, uh, so he, you know, forces her into her seat, puts the seatbelt on. They drive to church. And a little girl says, Daddy, on the, outs- on the outside, I'm sitting down. But on the inside, I'm standing up. That's the heart, you see? You can conform the behavior. Have you ever noticed God never said, obey the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? He said, love the Lord your God, because you can make a dog obey you. But only a person can love you. And only a person can love you freely. Only if it's free is it love. And so what you see with, you see with Achan is what you see with a lot of people. You see a religious mask. You see all the reason in the world that he should love God, but he doesn't love God. And so when he sees what he really loves, what he really craves, he forgets all about God. See, there's something about the heart when it's affected by sin. It it begins to say, I will not be able to live if I don't have this. See, it doesn't matter what the reason, the consequences, what your conscience has said. It's amazing to me how many people I have met who are incredibly, pompously, piously religious who when they meet somebody outside of their marriage that makes them feel alive, they leave their marriage, they leave their church, they leave everything because they want that one thing beyond reason, beyond conscience, beyond consequence because they want to feel alive. Don't get between somebody and their pain relief. They will hate you. See, the idea here is to want something so badly that it actually is going to hurt you if you don't have it. I have people come up to me a lot of times. I don't know why they ask me this, because they should know my position on things, but they come up to me, and they go, Pastor, I want you to pray for this promotion at work. I want you to pray that I get this job. I just don't know what I'll do if I don't get it. I said, I'm not going to pray that. Because if that's your craving, it's out of order. Because that job is not going to be the source of your happiness. It's not going to be the source of your life. It's going to be an idolatry that you become a slave to. I love, uh, I'm an old man, but I love talking about dating with college students and, and about healthy relationships with college students. So someone will come up to me and say, my girlfriend broke up with me and I just don't know if I can live. Can you pray she comes back? I said, no. I said, that's the smartest thing she's ever done. I'm going to pray she stays as far away from you as possible. (laughs) See, if you make ultimate something that should not be ultimate, it will ultimately disappoint you. You cannot make someone else or something else the source of your heart's life without it becoming an idol. That's why, it's, that's why you can't just repent of the consequences. 
Will you listen to me on this? The truth is no one gets really filled with the Holy Spirit until they're fed up with every other way. People will try out the Holy Spirit. They'll try out Christ. But you have to get to the place where you say, nothing else works for me. And then you go, I need you. I want you. I'm desperate for you. And it has to be you doing it. I, I've never been able to argue anyone into health. I've never been able to persuade anyone into it, something their heart does not want. You understand why I'm saying you're so complex? See, you can hide your heart from us, but you can't hide your heart from God. Do you see what Achan did with what he had plundered? He hid it. And he thought he would be okay. But God knew. And it cost his family. It cost his community. I know you feel like you're, you're the only one you're affecting, but you're not. We are a body. When you are sick and wounded and hurting, we're all sick and wounded and hurting. When you are victorious, we're all victorious. The advance of the kingdom of God, in many ways, has a very important role to play, not only in your life, but your life and our life. Why am I saying? I, I believe in some ways today I'm, I'm speaking a prophetic word because I believe God is on the move. I believe God is doing something. I think there's an undercurrent. There's a swell of a wave that's coming. And when he's on the move, things get much more serious. There are many times when God is very forbearing. I mean, you don't see him wipe people out all the time, but there were certain key times in the life and the work of the kingdom where God said, I can't let this go. I just want you to think right now, is God asking you? I know he is asking you, but are you listening to the fact that he wants you to consecrate your heart right now and your life? So instead of disordered love, you have an ordered love where you know what is ultimate. You know what is your treasure. See, if God is your treasure, then everything else can be taken away from you and you still have your treasure. Let me give you one, let me give you one really practical down-to-earth illustrations of this when when something is a disordered craving the depth of it can so mess you up you know, a musician craving a place can go to an audition and crave it so badly that they screw up their playing because they're so petrified that they won't get it someone can go and interview for a job and they want the job so badly that they bumble and stumble and give their worst, uh, their worst impression ever because they're so afraid. Sometimes even some of you, where you've taken a test and you so wanted that A that you actually, you actually scared yourself out of it. Or there were people that you so much wanted to be your friend, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, that you never even approached them because you were so afraid of rejection. As a matter of fact, growing up, many of us saw this in our, in our schools, as you saw people, when they were so needy for friendship, you didn't want them to be your friend at all. 
You know, that person that comes and says, I want, you know, I want to be your friend. You're like, get away from me. I don't want to be associated. Don't eat at my table. You know, go away. Go away. Or maybe you were the nice Christian. I was, you know, I was a nice Christian in high school. And so you said nice things to them, and they attached themselves to you, and you can't get away from them. And you're thinking, I need, I, I need to get away from them. I'm going to change schools or something, you know? <laughs> but do you understand what I mean? The more needy, the more craving someone was, the less they got what they craved. And the more you wanted them to be away from you in some ways. And what happens is that you want something so immoderately that the way you know that this is true is that when you don't have it, you have bitterness. Or when you don't have it, you have despair. And in many ways, what God has done is he's created your emotions as a diagnostic tool for you to understand how disordered your heart is or how ordered it is. See, when you're experiencing peace and love and joy and all those things, you have an ordered heart. Your affections are in order. But when you don't, when you have bitterness and anger and malice and, and paranoia and anxiety and worry, you have a disordered heart. It's so interesting to me. I meet people all the time with incredibly disordered hearts who will say, but I love Jesus. I say, but you don't even know him, it seems like. Because how could you have such a disordered heart and have the king of kings be the king of your heart? So in some way, you're lying about your relationship with the Lord, and the, your emotions are telling you the truth about what you really believe and what you really trust. Because the heart is the control center of your being. Your heart is where your deepest affections are. Your heart is where uh, your, your, your most basic and powerful commitments are. Your heart is a mechanism that God created for you to attach. And if you're attached to your cravings, it will destroy you. Achan committed suicide, basically. He knew what he was doing. He knew it, and he still did it. Do you understand how complex we are? That we can know what we're doing and still do it? Know we're going to destroy our marriage and still do it? Know we're going to hurt our friends and we still do it? Know that... We're, we're disobeying God, and we still do it. It's interesting. Joshua isn't a book that, that reveals Satan, but Satan's footprints and fingerprints are all over the book because of the lies that people believe. You don't... See, your heart isn't just that it's twisted. You have an enemy who's also lying and tempting and deceiving you so that you'll stay twisted. And, and here's how I know... <laughs> How I know he's there. Achan gets what he wanted, but he doesn't get to enjoy what he wanted. It's hidden in his tent. Come on, that's you. You got to see that insight. You know what? This is a picture of your flesh. When Satan inflames your flesh and you do what your flesh wants you to do or whatever else, you'll, what you'll find is you can be stimulated but never satisfied. And it doesn't matter if it's pornography, if it's sexual immorality, it doesn't matter if it's 
your job or your academics or anything else. You can be stimulated, but in your, with your flesh, you can never be satisfied. The main word of the flesh is more. When do you know you got to more? Never. More is an unquantifiable entity. So it's actually a, it, it's, he's dangling a carrot and never letting you eat it. I hate Satan. And yet there's a part of me that wants what he's offering. I don't know about you, but I, I, I have sympathy for Achan because I am an Achan. I have had secret things hidden in my tent. I have had cravings that were way out of disorder. I have had out of one side of my mouth say, I love your holiness, O oh God. I want to be obedient. I will always be obedient. And on the other side, I've seen things that dazzled me. So for me, I have to look at Achan and say, okay, so what's the structure of these cravings? How is it that these things can take a man of God or a woman of God and, and so deceive them into leaving the obedience and leaving the love for something tangible? So here's, are you tracking with me so far? Here's the, here's the structure. It's a four-part structure. And it's, it's true in your life. It's true in my life. First, Achan says, I saw in the plunder, I saw the spoil, a beautiful cloak from Shinar. Some people say this was actually a kingly robe that was woven in gold that came from Babylon, but it was the king of Jericho's cloak. And then 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold weighing 50 pounds. Now, the, the English version translated, I saw, but the Hebrew actually is a little deeper than that. I beheld. In other words, it's something that created wonder. It's something that created attraction. Like, I don't know about you, but when I hold up my checkbook, I don't go, behold. <laughs> or my paycheck, behold, you know. I like to be holding it a little longer. I'm into corn this morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> so what is it? He's, what what does it happen here? He moved from looking at it to gazing upon it. But he moved beyond that, and he was opening his heart up to it. He opened himself up to the forbidden thing. How do I know that? Well, you don't look at a pile of silver and go, "That's two hundred. You count them. Now, you see what he's doing? He's counting. Ah, let me weigh that gold. You know, there might be a trigger in you. You see a beautiful woman and you go, that's pretty. But then when you gaze upon that and you start to figure out the shape of that and you start to think about and imagine yourself with that person, now you've opened yourself up to the forbidden thing. Yes, of course, God made it to where you have eyesight and you have a trigger in your brain that sees beauty or sees things that are attractive or whatever it is. It's not the temptation that makes you sin. It's the lingering. It's the opening yourself up and saying, hmm, what would it be like to be with that? I really, I really believe what happened is he put the robe on and said, I'm the king. And he started seeing himself and saying, what would I, my life be like if I wear this robe? 
What would my heart, you know, what would I feel like? What would my identity be like? So he opened himself up, and he began to realize that these things had worth and they had value to it. And what you might, what you might not understand, because you don't use this kind of terminology, but the truth is, this is the idea of glory. See, your heart has a mechanism by which it, it, it measures what you give weight to. When you begin to say, this has weight, this has glory, this is heavy, you begin to say, I want this. Really what you're saying is, I worship this. And so he begins to, in weighing it and counting it, he begins to give glory to it. He begins to say, this matters to me. And, and this is so important. You have, you have to grasp this with me, is where this takes place is in his imagination. See, in your imagination, you begin to see yourself with the thing or with the person or with the job or whatever it is. And you begin to experience it as if it were yours. And that thing, if it has glory to you, if it has weight, suddenly you have weight and you matter because you have this thing. You know, at that moment, he is totally unaware of the glory of God. All he can think of is what he looks like in the robe and what he feels like with the silver and what he feels like with the gold. It's an issue of identity in many ways. It's an issue of worth and value because he's now in his imagination seeing himself as a person with these things. So he's adoring it. And the Bible calls that adoration coveting. To adore something that's not yours and not supposed to be yours. So then he took them because he had this inflamed heart and he had to have it. Every one of you in this room, whether you know it or not, you have this apparatus in your heart that tells you what has weight and what doesn't. And when something tricks you or deceives you or tempts you into thinking, this has weight, I would be alive, I would be happy, I would be satisfied, I would be fulfilled, if I just had that, then you've been tricked. And you have believed that something that is not ultimate is ultimate for you. And you don't care what happens to anybody else because you have to have it. And that's what happened with Achan. Now, how do you get healed from this? Because we're all Achans. We're broken people. Do you understand that the truth of the gospel is that you are so broken and you are so sinful that Christ had to die for you, but you are so loved that he chose to die for you. You are so beloved. You know what he, when he sees you, he doesn't go, bleh. When he sees you, he goes, behold. He's enamored with you. He's attracted to you. Do you know, in reality, what every addiction boils down to? It is the, it is the fear that I do not matter. So I take something to dull the sense that I have no importance that I'm not safe, that I'm not worth anything, that I'm not loved, that I'm not accepted. And so I take things to dull that sense so I don't have to even, I don't have to even feel that anymore. Here's what, here's what the scriptures teach, is that the only person that ever mattered has declared that you matter. The only person that ever really mattered who has weight, who has glory. He's the only one who says, you matter to me. And to me, that's the whole thing, is his opinion of me. 
So how do I transform my disordered cravings into ordered love? Well, first and foremost then is what am I gazing at? What have I opened up my heart to? What am I looking at? Well, one writer that I like said it this way, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. That's why religion is never enough. See, behavior management means nothing. Nothing. I mean, it'll keep you out of trouble. But in, in the long run, your masks do not fool God. What this is saying is that if there's something else that can smite your heart, if there's something else that can captivate your will, if there's something else, then you've never really met Jesus. Because once you meet the beauty of Jesus and the love of Jesus, and once you've encountered his presence, then you begin to say, nothing else matters but that. That's what I worship. That's what I glory in. That's what my heart attaches to. That's the issue in so many religious circles is we're so busy trying to get people to conform to our morality that we've never smitten their hearts with Jesus and his beauty. You know why you could leave the robe where you found it? It's because you got a robe so much more beautiful. Come on. How do you know that this is a problem with you? Well, here's a test. When you don't have anything else to think about, when your mind isn't being taken to think by the environment, uh, you're not at work, there's nothing taking hold of your mind, you're just standing on a street corner, or you're just in a place where you don't have to think about anything else, where does your mind go? What does your mind habitually go to? What do you most like to think about? What do you most enjoy daydreaming about? What gives you the most comfort to fantasize about? That's your God. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. So if, if when you're alone, all you think about is sex, sex is your God. It's your robe. It's your shekels. It's your glory. If when you're alone, all you think about, you know, uh, particularly when you need comfort and all you can think about is country fried steak with gravy, <laughs> it's possible that that's a twisted craving because it's definitely going to do things to you. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? You, you can't live this life and really live in the promised land if you're going to try to live unconsciously. And if you're just going to give yourself to whatever dazzling thing gets your attention as you go along. So how do another aspect that I've found with people is how do they handle when God says no? I mean, I, I, I have seen and I believe it will happen to you is there are times God's going to say no about something that he could have said yes about. Just to test, do you love me for me or do you love me for my power? Or do you love me for my blessings? Because God knows the motivations of your heart, and that's what he's going after. So the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. There was a Scottish pastor who was really concerned for his people because he did not see a heart for Jesus in them. And he wrote a sermon, and then it became a book called The Explosive Power of a New Affection. Here's 
a summary of what he says. Seldom do any of our habits or flaws disappear by a process of extinction through reasoning or by the mere force of mental determination. Reason and willpower are not enough. But what cannot be destroyed may be dispossessed. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Can you receive this today? Let me close with this. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 15, God goes back to the valley where Achan's sin was discovered and where Achan was, was dealt with. And in that passage, he, he, he shows his heart for his people. He has, <clears throat> he's picked a prophet by the name of Hosea, and he said, you're going to represent me. And he says, go and make a wife of a prostitute by the name of Gomer. And so God says, I am you, Hosea, and Gomer is my people. My people are prostituting themselves after other gods. Their hearts are filled with twisted cravings, is what he's saying. Disordered affections. And so then in chapter 2, he says this to his people, and he says it through Hosea. He says, I'm going to win you back. I'm going to woo you. I'm going to romance you. I'm going I'm to sweetly and tenderly uh, draw you back into love with me. And then in verse 15, he says, And the valley of Achor, the valley of sin, the valley of judgment, the valley of failure, he says, will become a door of hope. I want you to understand something. Trying to be better doesn't change the affections. Trying to be better doesn't change the cravings. Having someone and something that you give greater weight to that is that has captivated your heart, that's what changes the affections. And what God does is He takes that valley of your sin and that that tent of your shame and the hiddenness of what you've taken that you shouldn't have taken or done what you shouldn't have done. And he takes that place and he makes that the healing place. He makes that which is your shame, your secret. He makes that your place of hope. Here's the awesome thing. God loves your scars, but God also redeems your pain. And he makes what no one else can make have worth and glory. He makes it have glory. Will you stand with me? Okay, did I wear you out? Some of you look so tired. I'm sorry. There is healing prayer tonight for those of you. Or is it that, are you, is he opening up the tent and saying, here's these secret places you've kept from me? Is he opening up the heart and saying, this is where your heart is attached to cravings that are disordered, to affections that are disordered. And in a sense, what God is speaking, you know, whether you want to hear it or not, is he's wooing you. He's drawing you back with romance. And he's saying to you, what you loved in that thing, I have so much more for you. But instead of making you feel guilty and ashamed and suicidal and condemned, 
when you eat from me, when you drink from me, when you are, are being satisfied in me and, and with me, you will never feel guilt or shame. It's an awesome thing. The psalmist gets this. He says, in your, pleas- in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forever. You see, this isn't someone saying, I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. This is someone saying, I found something so much better than sin. Because ultimately, what this passage shows is that sin is what your heart has decided has glory. What your heart has decided is ultimate for you. You see, and when I'll tell you a secret, can't tell anybody. Um, When you get what's ultimate right, when you get it right, then. There's no limitation to what he can give you. Because you've got your affections in order. You know, God loves to give good houses. He loves to give good jobs. But he will not give those things that will become idols for you. Which are disordered affections where you put him to the side and say, i got to do my work or i got to take care of my house or i got to pay my bills or whatever it is. But God, someday I'll get to you. When, it, when you're doing that, you're saying, this is all that matters. You don't. But when you set it, your life up and your heart up and you say, Lord, you're my deepest commitment. You're my truest trust. You are the affection of my heart is for you. When that happens, then the daily bread just flows. I find as I focus on Jesus, I have to ask for bread less and less. Does that make sense to you? Would you just hold out your hands with me? Would you open yourself up? I know I'm asking to close your eyes, but in a sense I'm asking to open the eyes of your heart and to say, I want to be smitten with you, Lord Jesus. I want to displace every other affection for this new affection. And I believe, I mean, I've had affection for Jesus for year after year, but I'm having a fresh encounter with affection for Jesus today. Because there are things that have crept in that have snuck into my tent. (laughs) Now, I put them there. Okay, I want to say they snuck in, but I put them there. I don't want them there anymore. How about you? I want a new affection for the Lord Jesus. I want to displace all this other stuff. Would you declare this with me? Uh, You may not be there to believe it, but just to speak it right now. In my valley, valley, you have given me a door of hope. hope. Say it one more time. In my valley, valley, you have given me a door of hope. hope. As you finish up today, I just want you to realize though, you have to walk through. You have to walk through. He won't push you through it. He won't force you through it because then the heart is not changed. But if the heart is changed, then you can walk through the door. Lord, will you seal what you're doing now? In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give a few hugs around and shake the love around and we'll see you next week.